Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Yakin County Public Library's Ripples in Space series. I hope everyone is doing well and you're staying warm as we are entering the winter months. In deciding what novel to pick this month, I wanted to focus our discussion around a topic that is very popular within science fiction stories, time travel. As a kid, I was both fascinated and kind of mad at time travel. The concept sounded amazing as a 10-year-old. To have the power to go back in time and tell myself not to procrastinate on a big school project or take a glimpse of the life of a relative when they were younger would have been great. But it's also an infuriating topic for me because, unaware of the time, I was trying to understand concepts of cause and effect in a linear thought pattern. But time travel, in my opinion, is not a straight line of reactions, but more so many unknown branches stemming from points that have an unknown end. Changes occurring far more unexpectedly than beloved movies made it seem. Now that I think about it, it is still very infuriating. But no worries, I'll try to keep our conversation on a linear trajectory as best as I can. Okay, so time travel. A shiny, interesting idea that raises many questions. What if we could change our present by going back in time and space? Would you? Just because you can. Should you? Many beloved characters such as Marty McFly from the Back to the Future franchise, Hiro Nakamura from Heroes, and their familiar friend, the Doctor, from the Doctor Who series, have traveled time and made changes in the hopes to alter or improve their situation. But does it really work? Or did our beloved characters just end up in a different timeline that no one is acknowledging? Our protagonist in this month's book, gets to find out firsthand just how messy and complicated time travel can be. This episode, we will be taking a look at the book All Are Wrong Today's, Today's by Elon Mustai, published in 2017. Elon Mustai is a Canadian screenwriter and novelist best known for his work as a staff writer on NBC's show This Is Us. As an audiobook, this novel is around 10 hours long and in print, just short of 400 pages. It took me over a week to finish the audiobook version. I did find time to listen to it as I was traveling to see family over the Thanksgiving holiday and on my, on my commute to and from work. The audiobook on Libby is read by Elon himself, which I thought was a special treat, as he brought his own work to life quite well. Like many science fiction books, this story really took a bite at the possibilities of what the future could look like, what possible changes occur when you mess with the past, but ultimately still amplifies and explores the human condition, both positive and negative, and in, in between experiences we humans frame our lives in. Elon Mustai's debut novel is a story truly about the complexities of family, of unexpected journeys, and the messiness and wonder of love. I'll break down our discussion into a few segments. We will go over the official book summary, my take on the novel, my interpretation on my favorite quotes, some suggestions for reader likes, and of course, a novice investigation of time travel and the impact it has had on literature and whether it's even possible currently. So without further ado, let's jump on in. The official book summary of All Our Wrong Todays is as followed, quote, you know the future that people in the 1950s imagined we'd have? 
Well, that happened. In Tom Barron's 2016, humanity thrives in a techno-utopian paradise of flying cars, moving sidewalks, and moon bases, where avocados never go bad and punk rock never existed because it wasn't necessary. Except Tom can't seem to find his place in this dazzling idealistic world. And that's before his life gets turned upside down. Utterly blindsided by an accident of fate, Tom makes a rash decision that drastically changes not only his life, but the very fabric of the universe itself. In a time travel mishap, Tom finds himself stranded in our 2016. What we think of as the real world. For Tom, our normal reality seems like a dystopian wasteland. But when he, when he discovers wonderfully unexpected versions of his family, his career, and maybe just maybe his soulmate, Tom has to make a decision. Does he fix the flow of history, bringing his utopian universe back into existence? Or does he try to forge a new life in our messy, unpredictable reality? Tom's search for the answer takes him across countries, continent, and timelines in the quest to, find, to figure out finally who he really is and what his future, our future, is supposed to be. End quote. <laughs> I felt this novel took me on a loop, where the loop goes up and down and twists itself within itself. And you think the ending is near, but somehow not. I won't lie, I dislike the first two hours of the book. I think it had much to do with our main character's personality. We begin the book with Tom Barron telling his audience that the story he's about to tell us is a sort of memoir, that the events he is about to explain didn't happen, that he comes from a future where avocados never go bad, jetpacks are a common gift for tweens and getting dressed, and lobs an automated machine creating a new outfit every morning based on one's personality and specific sizes. And yet we would never know, as his time travel mishap makes it certain that we, in this world, will never experience it. He apologizes quite a bit for this. The reason his world and timeline propelled itself into the future is because of an invention created by Lionel Gatrider on July 11, 1965. Gatrider created a way to harness the movement of the Earth as a means to create a sustainable and clean energy source. In that timeline, the date, and even down to the seconds, hold such significance. It is known as the day that created the future. Because of this new energy source, it created a path for people to ponder and dream more than they ever conceived possible. With unlimited amounts of energy, conflicts between nations became very minimal once the whole of Earth was running on prototypes of Gatrider's machine. Utopia, that's what Tom calls it. Ah yes, Tom. Tom Barron starts off as an unlikable, aimless character. Unsure of what to do for a career or even what he wants in life, we see him still living a pretty comfortable life because of his super ambitious scientist father, Victor Barron. Victor is one of the scientists who dr whose dreams knew no bounds thanks to Gatrider's invention. His life goal is to make time travel possible. His life also seems perfect, mostly because of his wife's never-ending efforts. Rebecca Barron made sure her husband's days were undisturbed by creating an environment in which her husband had no worries and could focus all his energy on his work. She takes on the never-ending task of raising her son, Tom, and kind of also her husband. Rebecca has two comforts in this futuristic world, books and her son. 
Tom describes his mother as more of a sister, someone he loves and cares for, but he often plays the role of a novice therapist as she has no one but him to unpack the stresses of her life. A family, while well, one parent holds disinterest for Tom, as soon as they realize he would not meet the massive expectations put on him, and the other parent sees Tom as a confidant as opposed to someone to shelter and keep safe from a young age. It makes sense to me that Tom is having a difficult time now as an adult. Though having lived pretty comfortably for all his life, a utopian future still does not magically fix issues intrinsic to humans like communication and familial dysfunction. Tom isn't alone though. He has a group of friends he's known since primary school. Close is what they were when they were younger, though later in life, as they all started to excel in their fields and have start having families, they all became worried about Tom, particularly after his mother dies unexpectedly. Tom talks about the heaviness of death, and I really feel for him. Out of his parents, he has the most compassion and care for his mother. She was real and didn't see him as a waste of talent. Though their relationship wasn't perfect, Tom explains to us how just how awful losing someone can be and the many mistakes made soon after in his experiences in an attempt to feel different or unveil his surmounting sadness and loss. As his mother dies, her last words lead his father to put Tom on a path that changes everything. Victor employs Tom as a member of the pilot team who will be the first to time travel ever. Though Tom is merely a backup for the lead explorer, he begins training for this historic event. This is where he meets Penelope Wetchler. Penelope is the lead explorer on this project, the person he is understudying for Tom up oh, for, and Tom thinks she is perfect, extremely bright and talented as a child, and best in her field of study later in life. Penelope had originally trained as an astronaut, her first mission to space, the first to cross the threshold into deep space exploration, was expected to be flawless as she excelled in all the training simulations, ambitious, physically capable, and a pioneer driven to see parts of the space no one had ever before. Perfect was a word used widely to describe her. However, things were not all that perfect. As soon as she made her first ascent into space, something in her brain just seemed to malfunction. The happiest she'd ever been, but suddenly unaware of who she was, where she was, or what to do, she was deemed unfit and a liability. Once that dream was shattered, she looked for another dream to pursue. Having found herself the position as lead explorer in Victor Barron's time-traveling mission, she begins to train again, though something is different. The undeniable sting of her first dream pulverized into millions of pieces in a split second. She begins acting recklessly in her personal life. The most we would not know as her performance in training is flawless. Tom's performance, on the other hand, is terrible. <laughs> As he did not even, as he did not earn this position whatsoever, his results in training simulations often leave the team to get destroyed in record time. It's a little comical how badly Tom is at his job, but an attempt to find purpose, maybe, but more importantly, stay near Penelope, the girl of his dreams. He continues in his role, but having spent most of the book using humor as a way to deflect from his inner troubles and pointlessness. It is nice to see him find something that is important to him, particularly after his mother passed. Tom and Penelope begin a brief secret relationship of sorts that he is ecstatic to even be in. 
Though a loving night together manages to change his life, hers, his life, hers, in the course of history. On the morning of the day that would cement time travel and Victor Barron's name into the history books, Penelope is unfit to complete the mission as a result of the night spent with Tom. After being kicked off the team and reprimanded by Victor, Penelope does the unthinkable, leaving Tom in shambles. This moment of the book was so sad because for a brief moment, Tom had a purpose. The one thing I was hoping he would get at some point. So Tom does the only rational thing any distraught person with access to a time machine would do. At this point in the story, my interest peaked. I wasn't as annoyed with him as the first two hours. He was living in this perfect world where everything should have been good, and yet his tank for profound loss was failing rapidly. Tom begins the sequence to engage time travel by himself. He remembers some important things, like the protocol that would slingshot him back into the present in case something completely wrong happened. But he also forgets some really, really, really important protocols. <laughs> the time machine was calibrated to travel back in time and space to the date and right before Lionel Gutrider turned on his machine. Tom, having made it back to that moment, ends up scaring Lionel and causing such a fiasco during the presentation that the Gutrider machine is turned off. This is of important importance. As in Tom's timeline, once the machine was turned on, it was never turned off. In an attempt to do less harm to the future, Tom slingshots his way back. But it wasn't back, the time and home he knew. It is back 2016 in our timeline. In this timeline, Tom is actually John Barron, an ambitious architect whose dreams of, the future, of future buildings and cities have elevated him to one of the most sought-after architects of his time. John's parents are both alive, but their professions are different. John has a younger adult sister, and to Tom's surprise, a version of Penelope, Penny, exists here as well. Though finding our world a dystopian wasteland, Tom can be near all the people he lost in this timeline. Yet, he feels undeniable guilt for the millions that were never born because of him. Tom struggles to stay present in a body where the original inhabitant, John, is trying to, make, to take back control. And even if he wanted to go back in time to fix his mistake, mistakes, is that even possible? The last part of this novel explores what it means to be family, the complications, the many complications time traveling can bring. And as it has a surprise twist near the ending I was really just not expecting. Elon Mustai's expert writing and humorous tone, even in Tom's lowest moments, makes this an interesting read. His aimless protagonist won me over, and I enjoyed seeing his growth throughout the story. I wanted to give this book a try, as it had a great mixture of hard and soft science fiction elements, and it was advertised as a romance as well. I think one of the best things about this book is that it gave us a look at what a regular, non-scholarly person would do if they had access to change time. Many mistakes were made, sure, but that's humans for you. We make mistakes every day, and we fail, but we try to make amends and make the best of situations we were nev we never saw ourselves in in the first place. There were concepts throughout the novel that made me think hard about my own life and desires. Even if I didn't enjoy every aspect of this book, I do appreciate it making me reflect and ponder my own life. I will put a disclaimer for this book. 
If you are not fond of cursing, this may not be the best time travel-centric book for you, particularly the chapter after Tom changed the past. But to be fair, if I altered my own whole future reality and changed the fates a million, I'd be pretty upset too. Additionally, there are a few scenes that include mature content. Though most of it is implied and the author does not go into much detail, I strongly recommend skipping this, this book if you are any kind of hesitant to read mature content. Personally, I wish novels started putting warnings along with their books, book summaries, as I would have probably picked a different book. This book has some wonderful writing. Very creative and insightful and some hard topics to talk about. I wanted to give y'all a little taste of the writing styles and discuss my sort of interpretation on each. The first quote, quote, that's what love can do for you if you let it. Build a person out of all your broken pieces. It doesn't matter if the stitches show. The stitches, the scars, just prove you earned it, end quote. I often believe as a society, we place a higher imaginative value on things that are perfect, unscathed. We desire a new book in perfect condition as opposed to the older, tattered one. But how wonderful would it be if we changed our perspectives and saw those yellow, discolored, creased pages as symbols, symbols of love and resiliency? I truly believe that all people have been through experiences that have left unwanted impressions on them, at times feeling broken. But even as broken and torn as we may feel, receiving love and Receiving love and care from, from another, it gives one hope and the realization that all people deserve to feel true love. A second quote, quote, I remember as a kid when I first understood that only half of every tree is visible, that the roots in the soil are equal to the branches in the sky, that a whole other half is underground. It took me a little longer. It took me a lot longer, well until adulthood to, re adulthood to realize people are like that too. End quote. This is a beautiful description of how people are much more than what they show a share of themselves. So much beauty and sorrow and unexpectedness lie tucked away under the surface for various reasons. People are so complex, and that complexity only increases once another person is added to the equation. It makes sense, too, that Tom realized this concept later in life. I remember as a kid thinking I knew and understood everything about my family and friends. I knew their personalities, their likes and their dislikes. But my understanding changed immensely once I realized that people are far more complicated. I am more intricate and elaborate than I realized. The mind is complicated and experience can be complicated. Because of this, I try to make sure I give people the benefit of the doubt in their interactions with me. If their interactions with me isn't the best, maybe they are really going through something that I'm not aware of. Maybe they are presenting super happily, but are suffering in silence behind locked doors. This quote is just a mindful reminder that we don't always present our truest selves to others. Um, and the last quote, quote, people talk about grief as emptiness, but it's not empty, it's full heavy, not an absence to feel, a weight to pull, their skin caught on hooks, chained to rough boulders, made of all the futures you thought you'd have. End quote. In my life, I have not experienced much loss. It's a 
scary topic for me because anytime I imagine losing a family member or a close friend, I tear up and try to erase the thought from my mind. But death is one of the one of the most certain things in this world. And of course, grief and that experience is valid in all its forms. If you felt emptiness during grief, then that is that is what it is. No questions about it. But his quote, the heaviness, the boulder chained to one's skin, it's a powerful image. The pain, the weight of still being here when someone is not, it forms a lump in the back of my throat. The experience of losing someone is not a light topic. It is hard and uncomfortable and an unfortunate weight we bear as humans. But that heaviness, to me, is worth the love you felt for that person or animal. All the memories of moments lived together are priceless. And I'm pretty sure I don't think I'd trade that for anything. If you'd like to read other books similar to this, the following are a few read-alongs. First, we have Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. That name may sound familiar, as the author is the award-winning best-selling author of Station Eleven and the Glass House, a novel of art, time, love, and play that takes the reader from Vancouver Island in 1912 to a dark colony on the moon 300 years later, unfurling a story of humanity across centuries and space. Followers by Megan Angelo is an electrifying story of ambitious friends, the dark choices they make, and the profound moment that changes the meaning of privacy forever. This particular book seems to have two time frames that are tied together, a satirical dystopian view of social media and how far it could affect our lives in the future. And lastly, An Ocean of Minutes by Thea, Thea Lim. In the vein of The Time Traveler's Wife in Station Eleven, a sweeping literary love story about two people who are at once mere weeks and many years apart. It is a gorgeous and heartbreaking story about the endurance and complexity of human relationships and the cost of holding on to the past and the price of letting it go. Lastly, I wanted to take a peek at time travel. Time travel is a science fiction concept that has been around for quite some time. The sci-fi novel, The Time Machine, published in 1895 by H.G. Wells, is generally credited with popularizing the concept of time travel through a use of a machine. In this story, our scientist protagonist travels to the future, to the year 802,701, and finds humanity has devolved into two races, the childlike Eloi and Marlux who live underground. What I find interesting is that H.G. Wells does not create a wonderful futuristic world where all advancements have created a type of paradise. He instead brings forth an example of a dark dystopian world representative of issues and social classes and social class inequality. His novel helped create the subgenre of time travel in science fiction and is still influential today. Nowadays, novelists and movie writers have come up with an array of ways to take their heroes back or forwards in time, such as time slips, superpowers, wormholes, a TARDIS, a DMC DeLorean. It's been a wild ride since 1895. Though an abundant and ever growing genre, is this concept even possible? Physicists have also taken an interest in this topic and have explored the possibility of time travel for over a century. After a quick Google search of the phrase, is time travel possible? It seems that many explanations begin with Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. 
Published during the early 1900s, Einstein's theory of relativity is broken in two parts, special relativity and general relativity. Special relativity generally states that motion is relative to position. For example, if a stapler was floating in space, would you be able to tell if it were moving? Would you be able to tell if it were moving? Not likely, but if you put a pair of scissors in space, with the stapler, we could tell if they were getting closer or farther from one another. Motion is rel relative to the position of the observer. And special relativity also ex explains time dilation. Einstein was the first to realize that time is not constant, as previously believed, but instead slows down as you move faster through space. Einstein's general theory of relativity uses the idea of space-time. Space-time is the fact that we have a four-dimensional universe having three spatial dimensions and one temporal time dimension. Within the space-time, any amount of mass causes the space-time to curve, and any other mass follows this curve. A bigger mass creates more curve. In a sense, matter warps time and space, creating gravity. But how does that relate to time travel? To explain this model of space better, imagine the Earth is a 20-pound ball that is laying on a floating sheet in the air. We will see a big dip around the ball where it meets the sheet. Now imagine that that space is the sheet and the ball is Earth. These dips are actually gravitational dips that pull other objects in. The closer the objects get to the center of the gravitational pull, the center of the Earth, the faster it accelerates. According to Einstein's theory, because time moves more slowly as you move faster through space, the closer an object is to the center of the Earth, the slower time moves for that object. An example many might get is that of the movie Interstellar. A major spoiler is ahead. If you haven't watched Interstellar, feel free to go ahead and jump forward just a little bit. <laughs> well, in the movie, Matthew McConaughey's team lands on Miller's planet, which is orbiting a supermassive black hole called Gargantua. The black hole's gravitational pull is so strong that it slows time dramatically. One hour on the surface of Miller's, on the surface of Miller's planet is the equivalent of seven years on space, in um, seven years on Earth. This is why when they return to Earth, loved ones are far older than when the team left. They ended up traveling to the future. And, and voila, time travel. It's different, isn't it? The form of time travel, this form of time travel is not as fun as a police box whizzing through time and space. Uh, does that hurt your head? <laughs> I hope not, but I'm sorry if it does. My head kind of hurts trying to take it all in too. But now, if the science behind all of this is possible, why haven't we time traveled yet? It seems our technology hasn't caught up with our wildest dreams. In our current state, we are still trying to figure out how to reach light speed. As humans, we have a mass, and it would be impossible to accelerate us to the speed of light unless we have an infinite amount of energy. Presently, only massless particles can travel to, to that speed. Another theoretical approach would be to take advantage of a great gravitational acceleration of the great gravitational acceleration black holes have to send someone to the future. Though this is also a tricky conundrum, as gravity could possibly overtake a person 
as that gravity could possibly overtake a person, pulling them in. As no one has ever traveled to the center of a black hole, it becomes a theoretical playground between astrophysicists and mathematicians. It's believed that one's body would undergo the process of spaghettification, a vertical stretching, and a horizontal compression on the body, and you would never be able to get out. Not even light can escape a black hole. It's safe to say we are not there yet, <laughs> but I have no doubt that our curiosity will lead us to explore more avenues that may take us to the future or past. Although time traveling is not a mode of explora exploration we have at our fingertips, I like to think about the moments in my day where I am set back or forward in time. Through storytelling or reading a book, those are all wonderful ways to travel through time every day. Though I am present, I am pretty sure I will never travel to the future. I know that every task, every decision I make will affect the future. In that sense, I try to make sure the ripples I make matter. Thank you for exploring another work of science fiction with me during this episode. I hope I've helped you learn something new or better yet ignited it ignited a frenzy of questions of what could be. Feel free to leave a comment on any of our social media sites as to what sci-fi works you'd like me to read and discuss next. Join us next week for another new episode of the Yakin County Public Library podcast. Bye.